إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد Today then starting the new chapter Babu Maja'a Filistisqa'i bil Anwa' The chapter regarding seeking the rainfall by virtue of the stars Seeking the rainfall by virtue of the stars Bab Maja'a Filistisqa'i bil Anwa' قال الشيخ رحمه الله تعالى باب الاستسقاء بالأنواء أي طلب السقيا بالنجوم The meaning of that is This is باب الثلاثين The meaning of that is Seeking rainfall through the stars Seeking rainfall by virtue of the stars ما حكمه وما دليله So what is the ruling on that? And what is the evidence for it? What is the ruling on that? And what is the evidence for it? Meaning, for seeking rainfall by virtue of the stars. What is the ruling on that? And what is the evidence? That's what this chapter is going to be about. وَهَذَا الْبَابِ يُعْتَبَرُ نَوْعًا مِنْ أَنْوَاعِ الْبَابِ الَّذِي قَبْلَهُ وَهُوَ بَابِ مَا جَاءَ فِي التَّنْجِيمِ And this particular chapter, it is one of the categories of the previous chapter. The previous chapter was about the stars. And this is connected so this chapter is like a subcategory of the previous chapter. فَهَذَا الْبَابِ يُعْتَبَرُ نَوْعًا مِنْ أَنْوَاعِ الْبَابِ الَّذِي قَبْلَهُ This chapter is a subsection, a type of, the same as the last chapter. فَالْبَابُ الْأَوَّلْ عَامٌ فِي كُلِّ مَا يُعْتَقَدُ فِي النُّجُومِ من الكفر والظلال والباطل من استسقاء وغيره وهذا الباب خاص بمسألة واحدة وهي الاستسقاء بالنجوم The previous chapter was everything connected to the stars All of their false creed, their incorrect beliefs that they had regarding the stars but this chapter now is specifically about them seeking rainfall by virtue of the stars so this chapter is specific whereas the previous one was general to all of the different types of false beliefs that they had regarding the stars so here we have a specific topic on the stars seeking rainfall by them 
Sebab maja'a ay min al-wa'id min al-kitab wa sunnah wa bayan anna thalika kufrun billahi ta'ala So this chapter essentially is going to explain the threat that has been mentioned in the Quran and the Sunnah against such an act, against seeking rainfall via the stars. And a clarification that doing such an act is disbelief, it is kufr, seeking rainfall from the stars or by virtue of the stars. لِأَنَّهُ اَعْتِقَادٌ فِي غَيْرِ اللَّهِ فِي أَنَّهُ يَخْلُقْ أَوْ يَرْزُقْ أَوْ يُدَبِّرُ شَيْئًا مِنْ هَذَا الْكَوْنِ أو يُخْلَقْ أو يُرْزَقْ نعم يَخْلُقْ أو يَرْزُقْ أو يُدَبِّرْ شَيْئًا مِنْ هَذَا الْكَوْنِ So this is a belief that is false that other than Allah اعتقاد في غير الله in other than Allah that some other entity or deity يخلق ويرزق ويدبر شيئا من هذا الكون that it can create or provide and sustain or control anything from this creation if you believe the stars are the ones that send the rain or by virtue of them the rain comes then it is a form of attributing aspects of rububiyya to other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala وَهَذَا كُفْرٌ بِاللَّهِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى So this is kufr, disbelief in Allah. لِأَنَّ اللَّهَ سُبْحَانَهُ هُوَ الْخَالِقُ الْمُتَصَرِّفُ الْمُدَبِّرُ لِهَذَا الْكَوْنِ لَيْسَ لَهُ شَرِكٌ Because Allah سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى He is the creator of all of this creation. The one that does as he pleases within this creation. The one that controls everything that occurs and what occurs in this creation. La sharika lah. And he has no partner alongside him in that. The stars do not have any participation in the rainfall being sent down. Wa kullu hadhihi al-makhluqat. مُدَبَّرَةٌ بِأَمْرِهِ And all of these creations that exist, they are under the control of His command, by the command of Allah. Everything that occurs, occurs. And we've studied that with the decree. مَا شَاءَ اللَّهُ كَانْ وَمَا لَمْ يَشَأْ لَمْ يَكُنْ Whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills, then it will be. And what he does not will, then it will not be. And here the Shaykh mentions, إِنَّ رَبَّكُمُ اللَّهُ الَّذِي خَلَقَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضَ فِي سِتَّةِ أَيَّامِ ثُمَّ اسْتَوَى عَلَى الْعَرْشِ يُغْشِ اللَّيْلَ النَّهَارَ يَطْلُبُهُ حَثِيثًا وَالشَّمْسَ وَالْقَمَرَ وَالنُّجُومَ مُسَخَّرَاتٍ بِأَمْرِهِ In this ayah it mentions that indeed it is your Lord Allah who created the heavens and the earth in six days. Then he rose above the throne. The night it engulfs the day and comes after it with speed or seeking it hastily. 
and the sun and the moon and the stars are all determined and created under his command to him belongs the creation and all of the command the decree ala lahul khalq alladhi huwa at-tadbir wal ijad wa at-tasarruf so to allah belongs all of al khalq meaning the control and the creation of all of the creation wal amr alladhi huwa ash-shar' and the amr meaning the legislation everything that is legislated that occurs all of that is under the control of allah fa kama annahu al khaliq fa huwa alladhi yashra' subhanahu wa ta'ala so just as allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the creator he is the one who legislates wa ya'mar wa yanha and uh, commands and prohibits tabarakallahu rabbul alamin لما قرأ عبد الله ابن عمر هذه الآية قال من كان له شيء فليطلبه when عبد الله ابن عمر read this ayah he said من كان له شيء فليطلبه whomsoever has anything to seek then seek it whomsoever has anything or, or require some affair, then seek it. Seek it from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَقَالَ تَعَالَى وَسَخَّرَ لَكُمُ اللَّيْلَ وَالنَّهَارَ وَالشَّمْسَ وَالْقَمَرَ وَالنُّجُومُ مُسَخَّرَاتٌ بِأَمْرِهِ إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَآيَاتٍ لِقَوْمٍ يَعْقِلُونَ Again, a similar ayah highlighting how the night, the day, the sun, the moon, the stars, all of them are under the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Inna fi thalika la ayatin liqawmin ya'qilun. Indeed, within that are signs for those who ponder and think. And similarly, وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ اللَّيْلُ وَالنَّهَارُ وَالشَّمْسُ وَالْقَمَرُ لَا تَسْجُدُوا لِلشَّمْسِ وَلَا لِلْقَمَرُ وَاسْجُدُوا لِلَّهِ الَّذِي خَلَقَهُنَّ إِن كُنْتُمْ إِيَّاهُ تَعْبُدُونَ And from his signs are the night and the day and the sun and the moon. Do not prostrate to the sun nor to the moon, but prostrate to Allah, the one who created them. If indeed you worship him, فلا يجوز أن يعتقد في مخلوق من المخلوقات أي كان شكله وقوته ونوعه أن يعتقد فيه أنه يدبر مع الله سبحانه وتعالى. It is therefore impermissible to believe. That anything in creation, no matter what type of creation that may be, no matter how mighty a creation it may be, no matter what the form of that creation may be, it is impermissible to believe that anything in creation controls the affairs alongside Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَإِنَّمَا يُدَبِّرُ بِأَمْرِ اللَّهِ Rather, it is all controlled by the command of Allah alone. فَالْمُدَبِّرَاتِ أَمْرًا يعني الملائكة يدبرون بأمر الله This ayah is talking about the angels that take care of the affairs 
and what occurs by the command of Allah. Allah commands the angels and then the angels go and carry out whatever is determined to be carried out in the creation. So the first ayah that is in this chapter قَوْلِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى وَتَجْعَلُونَ رِزْقَكُمْ أَنَّكُمْ تُكَذِّبُونَ This particular ayah, it is connected directly to the title of the chapter regarding an event or an incident whereby the rain was being attributed to the stars or they were attributing the rain to the stars. هذه الآية في سياق الآيات التي قبلها and the ayah is in the context of the other ayat that come before it and those are the ayat that talk about this affair فلا أقسم بمواقع النجوم وإنه لقسم لو تعلمون عظيم إنه لقرآن كريم في كتاب مكنون لَا يَمَسُّهُ إِلَّا الْمُطَهَّرُونَ تَنْزِيلٌ مِّنْ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ أَفَبِهَذَا الْحَدِيثِ أَنْتُمْ مُدْهِنُونَ وَتَجْعَلُونَ رِزْقَكُمْ أَنَّكُمْ تُكَذِّبُونَ So in these ayat, the scholars have two opinions as to what they mean. The scholars have two opinions as to what is intended here. The first opinion is أَنَّ الْمُرَادَ بِالنُّجُومِ الْكَوَاكِبِ وَالْمُرَادُ بِمَوَاقِعِهَا طُلُوعِهَا وَغُرُوبِهَا طُلُوعُهَا مِنَ الْمَشْرِقِ وَغُرُوبُهَا مِنَ الْمَغْرِبِ لِأَنَّ هَذَا مِنْ أَعْظَمِ آيَاتِ اللَّهِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى وَالْمُقْسَمُ عَلَيْهُ وَأَحَقِّيَّةُ الْقُرْآنِ So some of the scholars they said that in this ayah when it talks about the mawaqi nujum the the uh, locations and standings of the stars and their uh, constellations and how they work that this is in reference to al kawakib al kawakib can refer to the larger stars the larger stars or the planets it can refer to those affairs so some of them said that this is the intent, meaning that those who attribute the affairs to them, make their oaths to them, consider the stars and these large bodies to have some influence on the worldly events and their movements of how they rise from the east to the west, etc. And then, أَفَبِهَذَا hadith, Meaning the Qur'an, أَنْتُمْ مُدْهِنُونَ يَعْنِي تُكَذِّبُونَ that do you belie the Qur'an? وَتَقُولُونَ إِنَّ مِنْ قَوْلِ مُحَمَّدْ أَوْ مِنْ قَوْلِ فُلَانْ أَوْ عَلَّانْ بَعْدَ هَذَا الْبَيَانِ وَبَعْدَ هَذَا التَّوْذِيحِ So it mentions here, do you belie the Qur'an? After this clarification and you say that this is the statement of Muhammad, you claim that the Qur'an is written by Muhammad or somebody else, after this clear clarification comes to you, and the main section, though, is what's being quoted. وَتَجْعَلُونَ رِزْقَكُمْ أَنَّكُمْ تُكَذِّبُونَ 
that the rain that comes upon you, the rain that comes upon you, you belie that, you deny that, meaning you attribute it to other than Allah. When the rain comes upon you, you attribute it to other than Allah. And you say, مُطِرْنَا بِنَوْ كَذَا وَكَذَا فَتَنْصِبُونَ الْمَطَرْ إِلَى الْأَنْوَاءِ And you end up saying the rain fell because of the constellation of the stars or the movement of the stars. The rain fell because of those reasons. So when the rizq comes to you, that rain falls. You deny, you lie, belie the facts and you attribute the rain to other than Allah. والنوء عبارة عن أحد منازل القمر الثمانية والعشرين. So this is in reference to the, uh, uh, the the movement of the moon, the stages of the moon that they used to believe it rains due to a certain stage of the moon. The moon it, it starts as a crescent, it becomes a full moon, it changes again back to a crescent. The stages of the moon they used to believe that is connected to the rainfall coming. وَذَلِكَ أَنَّ الْعَرَبْ تَزْعُمُ فِي الْجَاهِلِيَّةِ أَنَّ الْمَطَرْ إِنَّمَا يَنْزِلُ بِسَبَبِ طُلُوعِ النَّجْمِ Some of the Arabs in Jahiliyyah, prior to Islam, they used to believe that the rain falls because of a certain star. When a certain star arises, then the rain comes down. وَبَعْضُهُمْ يَقُولُ الْمَطَرْ يَحْصُلُ بِسَبَبِ غُرُوبِ النَّجْمِ الَّذِي يَغْرُبُ فِي الْفَجْرِ uh, and some of them they used to say the rain falls because of a particular star that sets at Fajr time. A particular star that disappears and is not visible again at Fajr time. They used to say due to that particular star it rains. And there's a minor difference. The point being that they were attributing rainfall to the stars and the stages of the moon. المهم أنهم يضيفون نزول المطر إلى طلوع النجم أو غروبه. So they were attributing the rain to either the rising of a star or the setting of a star. يظنون أن غروب النجم أو طلوع النجم في الفجر هو الذي يسبب نزول المطر. And they used to believe that the rising of a particular star, the appearance of a star, or the disappearance of another. That this was the cause for the rain coming down. That's what was making the rain fall. That's what they believed. فَيَقُولُونَ مُطِرْنَ بِنَوْءِ كَذَا وَكَذَا مُطِرْنَ بِنَوْءِ الثَّرِيَةِ بِنَوْءِ الْقَلْبِ بِنَوْءِ الْعُوَّةِ بِنَوْءِ الْغَفَرِ All these different names of the various stars. They used to say we have got the rain because of this star, that star, this star. And they were connecting the rainfall to that. وَقَدْ أَكْذَبَهُمُ اللَّهِ and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala declared them as liars upon that. تَجْعَلُوا وَتَجْعَلُونَ رِزْقَكُمْ أَيِّ الْمَطَرِ أَنَّكُمْ تُكَذِّبُونَ That this rizq, meaning the rain that comes, you deny and you reject it and attribute it to other than Allah. فَتَنْسِبُونَهُ إِلَى الطَّالِعِ أَوْ الْغَارِبِ مِنَ النُّجُومِ وَهَذَا كَذِبِ You are attributing the rain that Allah has sent you to the stars, this one setting, that one rising, you're attributing it to the stars. لِأَنَّ الَّذِي يَنْزِلْ 
because the one that sends down the rain that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it is not because of the rising of a star or the setting of a star so they were lying upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they were lying upon Allah in rejecting the attribution of the rain to him and instead affirming it to other than him and they denied and rejected the blessing of Allah upon them therefore by attributing it to other than Allah it is a rejection and a denial of that blessing from Allah and what was required of them was that they should thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon the blessing and that they should attribute the blessing to Allah but they attributed the blessing to other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so they were saying that the rain has come down because of some certain star or some certain stage of the moon. So Allah rejected these statements of theirs. So Allah rejected that and termed their claims as lies. And this lie of theirs, this false claim of theirs, it is something that is directly in aqidah. To believe that the rain is from other than Allah, it's a major deviation in aqidah. وَهُوَ كَذِبٌ فِي الْعَقِيدَةِ وَأَشَدُّ الْكَذِبُ هُوَ الْكَذِبُ فِي الْاعْتِقَادِ And the most severe of the lies and the, the rejections, they are those that occur within aqidah. قَالَ تَعَالَى فَمَنْ أَظْلَمُ مِمَّنْ كَذَبَ عَلَى اللَّهِ وَكَذَّبَ بِالصِّدْقِ إِذْ جَاءَهُ أَلَيْسَ فِي جَهَنَّمَ مَثْوًا لِلْكَافِرِينَ who is more oppressive? Faman Avlamu. Who is more oppressive and a wrongdoer? Mimman Kadaba Allah. Except or other than the one who lies upon Allah. Wa kadaba bisidki if jaahu. And he denies the truth when it comes to him. Ali Safijahnamathwanil Kafirin is the hellfire, not an abode for the disbelievers. فَالَّذِي يَكْذِبَ عَلَى اللَّهِ وَانْسِبْ نِعْمَهُ لِغَيْرِهِ So the one who lies upon Allah and attributes the blessings to other than him وَيَنْسِبُ الْمَطَرْ إِلَى مَخْلُوقٍ مِنْ خَلْقِهِ فَقَدْ كَذَبَ عَلَى اللَّهِ So the one who attributes the rain to some creation from the creations of Allah whether it's the stars or otherwise then that individual has lied upon Allah أَعْظَمَ الْكَذِبِ the greatest of lies upon Allah. Badala and Yashkur Allah Instead of thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he lies upon Allah. And he attributes the blessings to other than him. This is a rejection of the blessing and 
uh, a denial of it. If you're attributing those blessings to other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَقَدْ فَصَّلَ الْعُلَمَاءِ حُكْمَ ذَلِكَ فَقَالُوا And the scholars, they detailed this particular issue. They detailed this issue, gave explanation and elaborated on this issue. And they said, إِنْ اِعْتَقَدَ أَنَّ النَّجْمَ هُوَ الَّذِي يُوْجِدُ الْمَطَرْ فَهَذَا كُفْرٌ أَكْبَرٌ وَشِرْكٌ أَكْبَرٌ مُخْرِجٌ مِنَ الْمِلَّةِ If a person believes that the star itself, itself creates the rain, then that is major kufr out of the fold of Islam. If you believe the star, a particular star itself, creates the rain and brings the rain for us, then that is major disbelief out of the fold of Islam. But if a person recognizes and knows that it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who controls all of the affairs, it is Allah that controls all of the affairs, but they believe that the stars in whatever form that they are a cause, they are a cause or a reason. So they attribute it to the stars as a causal factor, some type of reasoning behind the rain coming down, even though ultimately they know and they believe it's Allah who sends it. Then in that case, their type of misguidance is minor Disbelief, it is minor kufr, minor shirk. لَكِنَّهُ وَسِيلَةُ إِلَى الشِّرْكِ الْأَكْبَرِ But having that type of belief is a path, it is a means, it is a doorway that leads on to major kufr occurring. لِأَنَّ اللَّهَ لَمْ يَجْعَلِ النُّجُومَ سَبَبًا فِي نُزُولِ الْأَمْطَارِ وَإِنَّمَا الْأَمْطَارِ تَنْزِلُ بِأَمْرِهِ Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not make the stars a reasoning, a cause for the rain to fall. The stars are not connected. They do not have any influence, any ability to bring down the rain. So a person who begins to believe that the stars are a means for the rain to fall, then that is a doorway opening up to potentially major shirk in the end. Because the rain, it only comes down by the command of Allah. فَالْأَمْطَارْ تَنْزِلُ بِأَمْرِهِ وَبِسَبَبِ رَحْمَتِهِ The rain comes down by His command وَبِسَبَبِ رَحْمَتِهِ and by His mercy, by way of His mercy, كَمَا دَلَّتْ عَلَى ذَلِكَ آيَاتٌ كَثِيرًا مِنَ الْقُرْآنِ Just as many ayat in the Qur'an, they indicate and point to that, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one that sends down the rain. Several examples mentioned by the Shaykh. وَأَنزَلَ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ مَاءً 
فَأَخْرَجَ بِهِ مِنَ الثَّمَرَاتِ رِزْقًا لَكُمْ One example that he is the one who sends down from the skies the rain and then by way of that brings out the fruits from the earth as provisions for you. He is the one that sends down the rain from the sky and then by way of that brings forth the vegetation from the ground as a provision for you. And we know all of that is by the command of Allah. Uh, uh, the responsibility is given to which angel regarding it? Mikael. The one who is given the responsibility in regards to these affairs of the rainfall and the growth of the vegetation that occurs thereafter. And we've mentioned before, Jibreel السلام, and Mikael and Israfil السلام, all three of these angels, their jobs and their responsibilities are intertwined and connected by a common factor which is life. How? Because Jibreel السلام, brings the revelation which is life for the soul and the heart. Jibreel السلام, given the responsibility of the revelation, the wahi. And that is life for the heart's guidance. Mikael, given the responsibility of the rainfall and vegetation and fruits that grow forth, sustenance and provisions, that is life for the bodies. And Israfil, given the responsibility of blowing into the horn, the one who will yanfukhu fissur, and that is connected to life because it is connected to the end of this life and then the beginning of the afterlife when the blowing of the horn occurs. That is the end of this life and then the beginning of the afterlife. And so as a Shaykh al Rahimahullah Ta'ala mentioned those three angels, their duties are all connected to somehow bringing about life. فَالْحَاصِلْ أَنَّ الْمُنَزِّلَ لِلْمَطَرِ هُوَ اللَّهُ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى وَالْرِيَاحِ وَالصَّحَابِ إِنَّمَا هِيَ مَخْلُوقَاتِ لِلَّهِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى So the point being that the one who sends down the rain that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as for the winds and the uh, clouds, the winds and the clouds and all of those affairs, they are simply creations of Allah. They are creations of Allah through which Allah produces and creates this rainfall that occurs. Then after that, عَنْ أَبِي مَالِكْ الأشعري رضي الله عنه أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال أربع في أمتي من أمر الجاهلية لا يتركونهن الفخر بالأحساب والطعن في الأنساب والاستسقاء بالنجوم والنياحة here the Prophet ﷺ mentioned in this hadith of Abu Malik al-Ash'ari anhu that there are four things 
within my ummah from the affairs of jahiliyyah that they do not leave. There are four things in my ummah from the affairs of jahiliyyah but they do not leave them. And the four of them are mentioned. We'll go through those one by one here now. Fi ummati arba'un fi ummati. There are four things in my ummah. What is the ummah that is being spoken about? How many ummas are there? The ummah of Muhammad So the kafir on the street, is he from that ummah? So what about everybody else? Which ummah are they from? The kafir walking past on the street right now, which ummah is he from? He's part of the ummah? You made everybody Muslim, khalas? So then the kuffar, what about them? Humans? They have no ummah? Stripped of ummanas? Anybody else? Two types of ummah that they speak about in the context of religious affairs. There are two types of ummah they refer to. Ummatul istijaba or alijaba, ummatul ijaba and ummatu Al-Ijaba is one of them, Ummatul Ijaba, and the other one is Ummatu Al-Da'wah. Ummatul Da'wah and Ummatul Ijaba. Ummatul Ijaba, the Muslims. Those who believed, then they responded. They responded to the call. They responded to the call that came to them. Like in the Quran, Rabbana innana sami'na munadi yunadi yunadi. Iman and Amin over that we heard them calling to Iman and we believed. So here Ummatul Ijaba are the ones who believe. But Ummatul Da'wah everybody that the da'wah is uh, 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 directed to. You direct the da'wah to everyone. The kafir, the da'wah is directed to him. It is directed to him. The call to Islam is directed to him. So everybody is being called to Islam. They are the Ummatu Ad-Da'wah. But the Ummatul Ijaba, Ijaba meaning the ones who respond to that call, are the ones who then accept Islam and enter into Islam. They responded to the call. They are the Ummatul Ijaba, the Ummah of response. Whereas the other ones, Ummatul Da'wah, the Ummah of the ones who are being called. The kuffar, all of them are being called. And I remember in the University of Medina when they do the PhDs, when you do your doctora, at the end of it, you have to have the panel discussion. They bring in some professors. Those professors, they read your thesis, probably this big at least, five, six, seven hundred thousand pages. They read it all. And then they sit down in a panel. So when they do those, when they finish their PhD and Masters, you have to have this panel session at the end. They bring in a group of professors, three of them. They are sat like a courtroom, like a courtroom. You have the three professors sat there, you're on the stand. They have your book, they've examined your book in detail that you've written. And then they cross-examine you on your book. So they'll say to you, the first professor, he'll start, they'll say, okay, go to page uh, 182. On that page you said so-and-so. How did you say that? Sheikh islam said so-and-so. What are you talking about? So then you have to defend yourself. No, no, I meant this and I meant that. And the reason why I wrote this and that. 
Then they'll say, okay, go to page 200, and they'll keep doing that. Your whole book, they'll pick out everything. And I remember this one time, one student was having his uh, uh, PhD one, and they got the panel of professors, and one of them was the Mufti, the Mufti of Saudi Arabia. They had invited him down. He was one of the panel. So he had read the thesis as well, and I remember this one particular point. He said to the student, go to page such and such, volume two of your thesis, page 105, whatever. He said, have a look at uh, five lines from the bottom or, bottom or whatever it was. So the student looks at it, he says, okay, such and such, such and such, Ummatul Da'wah. He had written Ummatul Da'wah. And in the context of what he was talking about, he was talking about the Muslims. <clears throat> that section of his thesis, it was to do with the Muslims, whatever it was. It was about the Khawarij, etc. But it was about the Muslims in that section. And he'd written Ummatul Da'wah in that paragraph as a slip of the tongue. He meant to say Ummatul Ijaba, but in that context it was Ummatul Ijaba, but accidentally he wrote Ummatul Da'wah. So I remember the Mufti picking that one out, saying to him, look at that, uh, read that paragraph at the bottom, he reads it out, he reads it out, and as the student is reading it out and he gets to the big Ummatul Da'wah, he realizes himself straight away. He realizes himself straight away, of course, yes, it's Ummatul Ijaba in this one. Or maybe it was the other way around, whichever way around, he'd got it wrong. So the point here is, Ummatul Da'wah is the overall Ummah, everybody that the Da'wah is aimed at, Ummatul Ijaba are the ones who answer. So here, uh, when it says, Min Ummati, there are four things in my Ummah from the affairs of Jahiliyyah that remain. What is meant here? Is it the Ummatul Da'wah, everybody? Or specifically the Muslims in my ummah, meaning in the Muslims, there are these four things from Jahiliyyah that still remain. Which of the two? Ummatul Ijaba. Yani Ummatul Ijaba. Lianna Ummatul Dawa. Tashmil kulla thakalain al jinn wal ins. Lianna Rasul bu'itha ilayhim. So here this is specific to the ummah of the Muslims. That's what's being spoken about here. Otherwise, in terms of the kuffar, then, of course, these things exist in them now and before Jahiliyyah. But here it is about the Ummatul Ijaba, the Ummah that responded and answered to the call and believed in the Messenger. So then, then the Hadith says, Min Amril Jahiliyyah, from the affairs of ignorance. Four things from the affairs of the pre Islamic ignorance, as they say in English. The pre-Islamic ignorance. Al-Muradu bil Jahiliya ma qabla al-Islam. Summiya Jahiliya min al-Jahl. Wa huwa adamu al-ilm. Li khuluwi hadha al-waqt. Waqt al-fitra. Min athar al-risalat al-samawiyya. Al-Jahiliya, the time just before the sending of the messenger. Before the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was sent. Before that. That time period before his sending is known as the period of Jahiliyyah. And that is because at that time there was no other prophet or messenger at that time. There was no other. This is known as one of those periods, a period where there was no other prophet or messenger sent at that time with a revelation from Allah. لِأَنَّ بَيْنَ بِعِثَةِ مُحَمَّدْ صَلَّى اللَّهِ وسلم وَبَيْنَ عِيسَىٰ آخِرُ أَنْبِيَاءِ بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلِ أَرْبَعُ مِئَةِ سَنَةٍ وَزِيَادَةٍ وَكَانَتْ 
قد اندثرت فيها آثار الرسالات ونظر الله إلى أهل الأرض فمقتهم وعربهم وعجمهم إلا بقايا من أهل الكتاب انقرضوا قبل البعثة Before the Prophet ﷺ, it was all the way back 400 years plus to Isa ﷺ. 400 years plus, more than four or five hundred years to Isa ﷺ. And from that time to the Prophet ﷺ coming now, there was this gap in between. And so that 400, 500 years, the message had slowly deteriorated it had fizzled away and been lost by the people it had disappeared and only remnants of that remained amongst the people only remnants remained and as for the message as a whole that revelation from 500 years earlier it had slowly over time disappeared so now this period prior to the sending of the messenger is known as the period of Jahiliyyah, the ignorance. It was a period of ignorance. And when you read into the books of history and the books of Sirah, in that period, they lived upon ignorance. They mention how the tribes at that time, they used to fight each other over the most minor thing. Such was their level of ignorance. Over the most minor thing, tribes at that time would go to war against each other. And it would be such a minor, minor affair that does not require that. Yet they would go to war against How dare he? How dare they did this? How dare they do that? These days, how dare he take my pencil without my permission? I'll see you in the playground. Those kind of things. No justification or reason for it. And they would go to war with one another. And they would steal and rob. And all types of things were occurring in Jahiliyyah. And with the affairs of the fornication and alcohol and everything, it was widespread amongst them. So that is the time of Jahiliyyah that is being spoken about. That in that time of Jahiliyyah prior, uh, or these four affairs, they come from that time of Jahiliyyah when there was no knowledge. Prayer is 45 today. So shall we pray and then carry on? Pray? Are you leading? Who's leading? Is he not? Okay, when he comes, let me know. So then, فَهَذَا الْوَقْتِ الَّذِي قَبْلَ الْإِسْلَامِ سُمِّيَ بِالْجَاهِلِيَّ لِعَدَمِ وُجُودِ الْعِلْمِ فِيهِ So that time is known as the time of Jahiliyyah because there was no knowledge at that time, four or five hundred years since the previous revelation. أَمَّا مَا بَعْدَ الْإِسْلَامِ فَلَا يُقَالُ لَهُ جَاهِلِيَّ As for after Islam came, then you do not call it uh, a period of jahiliyyah anymore لِأَنَّ الْجَاهِلِيَّةَ زَالَتْ وَالْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ بِالْإِسْلَامِ Because jahiliyyah, that concept, jahiliyyah is eradicated by the coming of Islam فَلَا يُقَالُ لَهُ جَاهِلِيَّةَ So we do not then call it jahiliyyah وَالْعِلْمُ مَوْجُودٌ And the knowledge is present the knowledge is now present. The final revelation has come. What the messenger bequeathed to us is present. And after the sending of the Prophet wasallam, then all of that ignorance was wiped out. It was all removed. 
من الجاهلية أو خصال من أمور الجاهلية فقط تبقى So when the message came, the final revelation came, it eradicated the ignorance that existed. But that doesn't mean every form and type of ignorance disappeared. There are going to be, the same again, remnants of ignorance that remain amongst the people. Certain activities and actions and behaviors and etiquettes that remained amongst the people still, even after the overall ignorance was removed, by the knowledge that came. وَأَمَّا بَقَايَ مِنَ الْجَاهِلِيَةِ أَوْ خِصَالٍ مِنْ أُمُورِ الْجَاهِلِيَةِ فَقَدْ تَبْقَى فِي أَفْرَادٍ مِنَ النَّاسِ أَوْ طَوَائِفْ مِنَ النَّاسِ الْمُسْلِمِينَ So some of those characteristics from jahiliya may remain in certain individuals specifically or certain groups of individuals. They may still remain. لَكِنْ أَنْ يُقَالْ الناس كلهم في جاهلية كما يطلقه بعض الكتاب الجهال فهذا باطل. But as for the claim of some of them, some of these misguided individuals, some of these people upon the Ikhwani methodologies, Takfiri methodologies, they say that right now the Ummah is in a stage of Jahiliya. And they declare the Ummah to be upon Jahiliya. And one of the reasons they want to do that is because they want to go fight against the, the rulers. They want al-khuruj al-hukam. They say, it's jahiliya. Look at the jahiliya. We need to implement the sharia. We need the khilafah. This jahiliya needs to be wiped out. And they declare the ummah to be upon jahiliya for those motives that they have and other reasons behind it. So that is incorrect to declare the ummah to be upon jahiliya now. Jahiliya as a whole was removed by the coming of the final revelation, this religion from Muhammad or from Allah to Muhammad. But remnants may remain in certain people and groups of people. So some of these ignorant writers, the ignorant writers, People who are not knowledgeable in Islam, they are not knowledgeable or educated in details of Islam, but they are literary writers. Literary writers. They can write, they can put together works, they can they have a good style of writing, have an ability in that, eloquence in that. So they write things and they put those writings together. He says some of these kinds of individuals like thinkers, social thinkers. These kinds of people, they put together these writings uh, and they say that the Ummah right now is in Jahiliyyah, but that is false. So we'll pray then. And do you want to do some more after the prayer? So we'll do a little bit more after the prayer then, inshallah. So continuing then from where we were in this hadith where the Prophet mentioned Arba'un fi ummati min amri al-jahiliyyah la yatrukunahunna 
There are four things in my Ummah, the Muslims, from the affairs of Jahiliyyah that they do not leave. Meaning the Muslims of this Ummah, they continue upon these certain characteristics that are from the characteristics of Jahiliyyah. And so the Shaykh was highlighting here that Jahiliyyah refers to the time period prior to the coming of Islam. And when Islam came, it eradicated Jahiliyyah on the whole with the coming of the Prophet Muhammad and that revelation and that knowledge. It wiped out Jahiliyyah. But remnants of that Jahiliyyah, they remain in certain individuals or certain groups of people but you cannot say that the ummah today is in jahiliyyah as the ikhwanis and the the takfiris and some of their likes they say so the messenger said there are four characteristics arba'un dalla ala annahu tabqa ashya min al-jahiliyyah tatasarrabu fi nas وَقَدْ تَكُونُ فِي بَعْضِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ الصَّادِقِينَ That this indicates there are certain things from the affairs of Jahiliyyah that infiltrate or they, they remain within the believers, uh, within the people and even within truthful believers. A person may be a righteous individual, but he may have certain characteristics in him still that are from the characteristics of Jahiliyyah. And in some people, as Shaykh Al-Fawzan says, these affairs of Jahiliyyah in behavior, in character, etc., they may be a huge amount in the characters of some people. In the characters of some people, you may find a huge amount from the affairs of Jahiliyyah in them. The way they are, the way they behave, and what they do, and how they speak. You may find a great deal in some people. However, even if the traits, the characteristics of Jahiliyyah, the behaviors of Jahiliyyah are present in some people, it does not mean that those characteristics being in them causes them to now exit from the fold of Islam. Doesn't make them a kafir. And there are many narrations like that. Are there not narrations telling us about the characteristics of the Hypocrites, characteristics of the hypocrites, lying. Lying is a characteristic of the hypocrites. A Muslim may end up lying. Has he become a hypocrite outside of the fold of Islam? Like the munafiqun at the time of the Prophet, where these characteristics come from? No. Breaking your promises, all types of things are mentioned as characteristics of the munafiqun. And a Muslim may have some of those characteristics, but that does not mean he is now declared as a munafiq, a hypocrite of major hypocrisy out of Islam. No.
These are weaknesses, deficiencies, could be significant deficiencies in some, but they do not dictate that the person has exited now from the fold of Islam. As long as that person, the Sheikh says, is testifying to La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah, walam yushrik billah, and he is not committing any shirk alongside Allah, walam yirtakib naqidan min nawaqid al-Islam, and the person has not uh, fallen into any of the nullifiers of Islam, فَلَيْسَ كُلُّ مَنْ فِيهِ جَاهِلِيَةً يَكُونُ كَافِرًا so therefore, not everyone who has characteristics of jahiliyyah in them is therefore equals to being a kafir. The characteristics may be in a person which are wrong and deficiencies, but it doesn't dictate that they've become a kafir. So then the Shaykh says, Describing the current state, the time that we live in now, with this blanket statement that the Ummah is in Jahiliyyah these days, it is incorrect to say that. It is false to say that. And this type of statement does not come or emanate from any Alim. What is that? They sometimes mention this, somebody who is a muhaqqiq. So you've guessed muhaqqiq is haq. <laughs> so muhaqqiq, is, it's in reference to, in English it's a bit like when you say somebody is precisely analyzing something. Like an English translation, the precise analysts, meaning the scholars who go into the affairs and they recognize and they understand and they check and they analyze and they work the affairs out, they review, cross-reference, the precise analysts as a linguistic translation of the muhaqqiq. So he's talking about those kinds of scholars, the ones who are in that level, precision, understanding, they would never say any statement like this, that the Ummah is upon Jahiliyyah. You would not hear that from such likes of scholars. This kind of statement only emanates from some of the ignorant ones the Sheikh mentions. And you'll see this a lot from a Sheikh Al-Fawzan. He mentions this a lot about the Juhal and the types of statements and actions that emanate from them. And he mentions often as well the Al-Muta'alimeen, the pretenders to knowledge. You'll see it in his books a lot. When he explains an issue, and then he says, along come these pretenders to knowledge, and they say this and they say that. Like an example in Ramadan, when he talks about in Bulugh al-Maram, just as an example, about whether it's 8 or 20. Whether you're supposed to pray 8 raka'at or 20. How many are you supposed to pray? Eight. Can you pray more than eight? You can pray more than eight? Can you pray more than eight? What's the fatwa? Fatwa from Stoke. No fatwas from there? So, we know there's a difference of opinion on this particular issue and there are evidences. 
There are strong evidences that it is only eight because the messenger never went above that. Aisha radiallahu anha about the night prayer of the messenger along with his witter etc. It was only 11 or 13. Never went to 20. But then there are other evidences, many of them, many of them from the Salaf where they prayed more than the, the 11 or the 13. There are. So you have a difference. And so Sheikh Al-Fawzan, his opinion on that issue is that it's not restricted to just the eight. That's the opinion of a Sheikh Al-Fawzan. That you can pray more. He even allows, you know, in the last 10 uh, nights, often they do the ta'qib. Ta'qib, which is mentioned in the books of fiqh, when you come and pray the taraweeh after Isha, and then later on in the night they come back and pray more. And they call it qiyab, uh, like tahajjud or qiyam or different names. It's all for the night prayer. But can you do that? Pray it after Isha, then come back at night and pray some more. Again, it's mentioned in the books of fiqh. Maybe the evidences for that are not as strong. They call it ta'qib. And there isn't really strong evidence, you could maybe say. But some scholars will argue the case for it. As Sheikh Al-Fawzan, he's open on that. Open on that. That's his opinion. That it's not restricted night prayer. Prayers, what you want. He said, why are you going to stop the people? That's his opinion. So when he was discussing that opinion, in Bulugh Al-Maram, his explanation, he's talking about the evidences, about why it's open. He says, when the man came to the Prophet wasallam and asked him, how do I pray the night prayer? How do I pray the night prayer? The messenger said to him, Mathna, Mathna, pray in twos. Pray two, give salam. Pray two, give salam. Pray in twos. And he never gave him an upper limit. Never said to him, Mathna, Mathna, until you get to eight or ten and then with Never said anything. Just said to him, pray in twos and left him. That circumstance now because as they say principle in you cannot delay the clarification of something from the moment of its need principle you cannot delay the clarification of something from the moment of its need right now when that man came to the messenger he came asking about how to pray the night prayer. His need at that moment was to understand and work out from the messenger how to pray the night prayer. That was his need. The messenger answered his need by telling him, you pray it in twos. Two raka'at, give salam, two raka'at, give salam, two raka'at, and left him upon that. At that moment in time, was it not part of the need of this man to know that there is a limit if there was a limit. Absolutely, they say it would not be possible for the messenger to have ignored that detail at that moment. That was a moment of need. A need for what? A need to understand this worship of the night prayer, how it's done in Islam. So that would indicate telling the man how to pray. The messenger told him that twos. Then it would also indicate a need to tell the man that there is a prohibition to go beyond a certain number. The fact that the messenger never told him that, they say upon that principle, proves that there is no upper limit. Because if there was, you're trying to tell us the messenger failed to tell the man that there was an upper limit he can go to at the time of his need. And that is impermissible to delay the clarification from the time of need. 
It's like, you know, to make it uh, that clear, somebody comes to you and says, I have no idea. Like, imagine somebody's become a Muslim right now. And they want to ask you, how do I pray? So if you clarify to them exactly all of the prayer, there's still a problem if you haven't told them about, about wudu. A new Muslim comes now saying, okay, I've accepted prayer. What do I do with this prayer now? So you explain to him all the prayer, how to do it, perfect, everything. So he goes and starts praying. You haven't even told him yet about wudu. So now this is what they mean. At the point of need, whatever need it is, you have to fulfill the need at that point. The messenger would never delay uh, or purposely remove clarification from the point of need. So they say that man was at the point of need of knowing what's the Islamic manner of praying the night prayer. The messenger told him twos, never gave him a limit, proving that there's no limit. Because if there was a limit, that point of need, the messenger would have said to him. You want to know how to pray the night prayer? You pray it in twos, but only up to this number. Don't go beyond that. Impermissible. Haram. Never said it to him. So these are the kinds of evidences some of the scholars use to say it is not restricted, even though the messenger never prayed more than a certain amount. You can pray more. Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, many scholars. Where do we go? Ah, so the point was, when uh, Shaykh al-Fawzan was talking about that, and he was giving his opinion why it's allowed to pray more, you're not restricted. He said, then some of these muta'alimin, they come along, these pretenders to knowledge, and they say you can only pray eight. These pretenders to knowledge come along and they say you can only pray eight. Of course, you know, the sheikh, he's uh, strict on, he's, he's very strict in fact, the way he is and he explains things. So the point is he mentions this often sometimes in some of the various places about the ignorant ones speaking without knowledge, about the muta'ali mean, the pretenders to knowledge coming and speaking, about individuals who are not qualified speaking. So here he says only the unqualified ones would say that the Ummah is in Jahiliyyah right now. That is not the case. The Jahiliyyah was removed by the coming of the Prophet So then he mentions the four affairs that this Ummah still has within it and still implements even though they are affairs not permissible from Jahiliyyah but they still exist. And those affairs then, insha'Allah ta'ala, will begin with from the next session. Next week, what time is Isha going to be? What is it on the timetable? Next week, next Saturday, huh? So in that case, we're going to have to start after Isha next week. If Isha is at 8.30, I mean, uh, we advertise for 8, but mashaAllah, everybody, uh, I, I, maybe they think we're lying or something. They come at 8.20, 8.25 anyway. So next week, inshallah, we'll start straight after Isha. Straight after Isha. 8.30 is the Isha prayer then. We'll begin straight after the Isha. And then after that, it's going to get to 8.15, 8 o'clock. And we'll keep starting straight after Isha. So next week, straight after Isha, inshallah ta'ala. Today, I wouldn't have added anything extra afterwards, really. But then I saw some of the brothers who come from outside, 30 miles, 40 miles away, mashallah. And they get here five minutes left. So then you have to do something, maybe. But next week, inshallah, we'll start after Isha 8.30, inshallah ta'ala.